you know, we had a restraining order against my mom and uh, my dad was actually starting to get sober at this point. And he had gone off to uh, an NA meeting and had left us the, you know, home. And he said, he's like, look, if your mom shows up, you have to call the police. And of course she did show up. And so there's my mom banging on the door. And I'm like, God, I have to like call the police on my own mom. And it was so heartbreaking. And so then, you know, all these years later, I find myself editing this euphoria scene where Rue is banging on the door and it hurt. But I went back, you know, before editing uh, that scene, I went back and I relived all these emotions so that I could feel because they are very complex emotions. Welcome to the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. My name is Joaquin Elizondo and I edit films and scripted TV shows in Hollywood. I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program to help aspiring editors start or advance their careers in post-production. I don't have any training in coaching or some fancy degree in psychology. I'm just a guy who is relentless in pursuing his goals and wants to help people do the same. But I didn't achieve happiness and success in my career alone. Throughout the years, I've come across some amazing people that have offered valuable advice and guidance. That's why I created the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program, to help people navigate the path to achieving their career goals. I've been in your shoes and gone through the same struggles. The challenges and fears on this journey are real. And I want to tell you, it is possible. Emmy-winning editor Aaron Butler ACE has been winning awards as a storyteller ever since he was in seventh grade. And most recently, he won his second Emmy for his work on HBO's Euphoria. So very excited to have him here as a guest on episode 37 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor podcast. We're going to hear all about his amazing career, which started in documentaries and then eventually moved on to feature films and now working on high profile scripted TV shows. And we're also going to get some advice from him on how we can find the right emotion from performances in the edit, as well as how we can just simply be better storytellers as editors. Just want to remind you that you can watch a video version of this episode on the Hollywood Editing Mentor YouTube channel. Head on over to youtube.com slash Hollywood Editing Mentor and subscribe when you're there so you never miss any informative videos and more podcast episodes from Hollywood Editing Mentor. Also want to invite you to be a part of the Hollywood Editing Mentor community. It's a great place to meet like-minded people and have access to live networking events and question and answer sessions, as well as jobs in the post-production industry and exclusive content. It's totally free and you can sign up today at hollywoodeditingmentor.com community. All right, some key takeaways from this episode include how Aaron decided to leave behind a law career to become a filmmaker, the importance of connecting with other creatives, the emotional and logical side of storytelling, how editors can benefit from therapy, the importance of having a supportive partner, Aaron's approach to pacing a scene, how working with Kanye West led Aaron to getting the job on Euphoria, why having lunch with coworkers is important for creativity, how the editors of Euphoria pick music for their scenes, and we'll get practical advice from Aaron on how to start a filmmaking career. Aaron Butler, very excited to have you here on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. I feel like I've been wanting to talk to you now for a while, so happy that you're here. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. All is well. Monday. On a Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, just happy to be uh, to have you here as a guest here on the on the podcast. And congrats again on your Emmy win here for Euphoria. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, that was great. I mean, great seeing you guys uh, win that Emmy. Look forward to hearing more about your experience cutting the HBO series. 
like as I was mentioning to you uh, right before we hit the record button, you know, I was really interested in speaking with you because I had heard you on, an, on another podcast and you were kind of talking about the, the early part of your career when you had started as, a, you know, shooting and editing documentaries, producing, writing. And so, you know, obviously you didn't make your way to feature films and then now a scripted TV show. So I really wanted to hear just kind of more about your, your, your journey, how you first of all got into all this because I heard you were originally wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer for some reason. I thought like, oh, you know, like it's good money. And uh, I really liked games and rules. So I thought like, oh, well, maybe I'll be like a lawyer because lawyers are all about, you know, knowing the rules. And I like to debate and um, and I like to tell stories, which I thought, you know, would be good, uh, you know, as a as a lawyer. But um, but that didn't end up happening. <laughs> yeah, if you kind of go back, you know, to the sort of earliest days, um, I really I always loved uh, telling stories. Um, and in junior high, like when I had my first uh, English class and I got to write my first creative uh, story, I was so excited and um, and I really just loved um, coming up with stories in my head. Um, I had, you know, we had some challenges growing up. Uh, both my parents struggled uh, with drug addiction. And so we didn't always have like a happy household. But and we lived on this little ranch. And so often I would like go out to the backfield, you know, with my dog, Booney. And I would just make up stories in my head to kind of escape and to entertain myself. And um and so then when I finally got the chance, you know, at school to be like, oh, you can write a story and it could be about anything you want. And I thought, oh, great. Like, and so, you know, I wrote, I spent all this time writing the story and I was so excited and I handed in and, you know, the next day everybody's getting their, uh, you know, graded stories back and uh, the teacher doesn't hand mine back. <laughs> And I was like, that's weird. And so after uh, she's like, see me after class. And I was like, hmm. So I go up and I see her after class. And uh, and there's my story sitting on her desk. And she looks at me and she says, uh, where did you copy this from? Oh, wow. yeah. And I was like, I didn't. I, I made this up. And she's like, she's like, there's no way you wrote this. This is college level writing. And this is like in seventh grade. And and then she's like, I'm going to have to call your parents. And I'm like, call them, call them, because they know, you know, they saw all my rough drafts and I talked it out with them, all the different versions and, you know, all my ideas and stuff. And um, and so the, um, you know, so that basically my parents came in and told her, you know, he wrote it, but she never really believed me. And, you know, she gave me an A plus on the story, but I could tell that she never believed me. And uh that story went in, uh, went and won uh, first place at the county writing contest, <laughs> and um, she still didn't believe me. And so it kind of it actually turned me off of storytelling, and that was one of the reasons why I was like, "Oh, I'm going to become a lawyer instead." <laughs> and so, but then you know, all through high school, you know, I would always have writing assignments, poetry and essays and stories and. And every time I would like write one of these stories, it would win all these awards. And but I but I but I was like, oh, no, I'm not an artist. I'm not a storyteller. You know, that's not for me. Um, and then finally, what happened was uh, one day I was watching MTV and I was like, oh, this music video is terrible. I was like, I could probably make a better music video than this. And I grabbed my dad's camera 
and I started uh, making music videos and I started shooting and doing all these little skits and things and eventually started getting all my friends to shoot videos. And and for whatever reason, you know, this this became my form of storytelling and, uh, you know, it was different enough from writing, you know, that it didn't feel like, oh, you know, this wasn't what I had you know, gotten shut down with before, like, this is something new. And I totally fell in love with that, like visual storytelling. And, you know, so I went to UC Berkeley and uh, there I was, you know, studying pre-law because that's what I thought I was going to do. But uh, in all my spare time, I was making these short films and, uh, and I started doing acting too. I love the theater and um, started doing all these taking classes and doing plays. And I kind of had a little bit of a cult following uh, at UC Berkeley with my films, like to the point uh, where, you know, one of my favorite, you know, one of my friends from high school who was in all my movies and I just loved her. Uh, her name is Rachel. Back then it was Rachel Vasquez and she she was like my muse. And she came to visit me one time in Berkeley and we're walking down Telegraph Avenue and someone stops her and is like, you're the girl from the videos. And she's like, how many people have you shown these to? And um and uh, I was just like, oh, a lot. <laughs> and so, but I still didn't think like that I would have a career doing this. I just did it for fun. I did it. This was my hobby. I did it because it was what I loved doing. And and I loved entertaining my friends. And, um, but then my senior year at Berkeley comes along and I'm getting ready to take the LSATs. And uh, and my roommate, um, Scott Bonds, who I think to this day was like, Aaron, like you love, you know, making short films. Like, why don't you go to film school instead of law school? And I was like, can I? Like, it never even occurred to me that that would be an option or a path. And so I thought, well, during my senior year, I'll just get, you know, uh, like an internship at a production company and try it out and just see see if I like it. So I sent my resume to 20 different production companies up in the Bay Area and didn't hear back from a single one because I wasn't a film student. You know, I was pre-law. I hadn't taken any film classes. And um, so I was about to give up and just be like, oh, well, you know, I tried. There was one last um, studio that I hadn't contacted. Uh, it was at the Saul Zantz uh, Film Center right there in Berkeley. So Saul Zantz uh, produced... Amadeus, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The English Patient, Unbearable Lightness of Being. And he had this amazing film center there. And I called up, I just happened to call up this one company that was a documentary company. So they, and I got lucky because, um, you know, normally you call up and, you know, I'm nobody and they just take your resume and add it to the pile and you never hear from them again. But that day that I called, uh, the secretary was out and one of the producers answered the phone and she graduated from Berkeley. And so we kind of had a little connection and I was like, Hey, can I just come in for an informational interview? She's like, sure, come on in. So I go in and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there in the waiting room and this guy comes by and he's like, Hey, want to go get lunch? And I was like, Okay. So it turns out that this guy is the owner, director uh, of the company. Uh, but what I didn't know at the time was, um, his name is Bill Jersey. Uh, I didn't know that he had been nominated for two Academy Awards and all these Emmys and was considered one of the grandfathers of Verite uh, documentary filmmaking. So I had no idea. And we went to lunch and we kind of hit it off. And he was like, let me see some of your work. And so I showed him uh, one of the uh, videos that I had made. And, um, and, you know, we got to the end and he was like, oh, he's like, you're an artist. And I was like, oh, 
no one had ever called me that before. And he was like, would you like to make a film with me? He's like, you've got a great visual sense and I'm about to do this uh, documentary film and I think you'd be perfect for it. And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> so I ended up um, shooting and editing uh, this uh, short uh, documentary and it ended up winning first place at the U.S. International Festival and first place in the New York festivals. And then it got acquired by PBS. And um, when I graduated uh, from Berkeley, uh, he offered me uh, basically the lead editor job at and the second camera uh, cameraman uh, position uh, at his company. So I never ended up going to uh, law school and I never ended up going to film school. Uh, Bill Jersey became this incredible mentor to me. He became my film school. He taught me so much about storytelling and I traveled all over the U.S. and all over the world uh, with him shooting uh, documentaries and uh, and editing. I, we would, you know, go out in the field and shoot and then come back and then I would edit him. And uh, yeah, and we're, we're still in touch to this day. He's a he's a great guy. And and um, he yeah. So that was kind of that was my start. <laughs> no, you know, that's 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 great to hear. I mean, like before we kind of move forward, I want to take a little bit back to when you were kind of still, you know, still starting to be a, a, a lawyer. Um, and in felt that maybe, you know, what you didn't know that, that this was like a career, right? Like say maybe filmmaking. I think a lot of people can relate to that or, you know, in some cases, for example, we, I mean, I brought up like, for example, uh, the money part, right? You think that success is maybe, you know, being a lawyer, being a doctor, being an engineer, or, or sometimes our, maybe our, our, even our, our family, for example, might not understand this desire to be a storyteller, be an artist, Right. It maybe holds us back from pursuing what we are really meant to be doing. Yeah, no, because I, I went through that that whole, you know, same process, you know, when it started going, you know, when I told my parents that I wasn't going to law school anymore and that I was going to try this film thing, they were like, huh? <laughs> you know, and uh, but then once they saw my name in the credits on TV, it was like, wow. <laughs> You know, it was like, oh, well, maybe this is real because, you, you know, you, you never know. And and it is I mean, it, it is a difficult and challenging industry. I mean, you know, you you heard all of the kind of steps and sort of random things that had to happen, you know, in order for me to land in this kind of perfect position. And um, and it does take a lot of dedication. You know, it's like you got to really love it. But but that's the thing. Like, if you really love it you're going to be doing it, you know, whether you're getting paid or not. And I, and I think, and so that's what was happening with me. It was like, I did this all the time because I loved it so much. And so it didn't matter that I wasn't getting paid, but you know, I had done so many of these videos that eventually they started to get really good. And then so that when I had the opportunity, you know, and again, this was the 21st company that I approached, which is, that's a lot, right? I mean, that's a lot of no's. That's 20 no's before I got a yes. And so, so that's part of it is like, you got to keep going for it. Uh, and then the next part of it is you got to show something, you know, you got to be like, this is what I'm capable of. I've spent a huge amount of time practicing, you know, my skills and practicing my art. And, you know, here's the latest bit, you know, so that somebody can see like, oh, wow, yeah, this guy has a lot of passion and he's already learned a lot just by himself, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think also, I mean, you know, you're right. You got to obviously, that's the thing, right? You have to try, take risks. And you're going to probably face a lot of rejection. You're going to make a lot of mistakes, but 
that that's that's the way you learn, right? Yeah. No, you only learn when you fail. <laughs> you know, that's the tricky thing. If you, you know, if you just get everything that you want in the first time around, you're not learning anything, you know, and it's like, no, learning comes from failure and you, you got to expect it and you got to be like, look, and, and that's true, not only at the beginning of your career, it's the entire <laughs> career, you know, right. Everybody gets fired. Like, uh, you know, everybody, uh, quits jobs. Like there's, you know, you're gonna fail and that's okay. You know, that's part of it. It's like, you know, sometimes you're not the right fit for them. And sometimes, you know, they're not the right fit for you. And there's all sorts of things that can happen and go wrong. And, but there's something to learn from every single time that happens. And that's, what's important is like, okay, this was, this is, you know, maybe I made a mistake. You know, a lot of times there's a red flag. It's like, oh, there's a red flag there and I didn't pick up on it, but now I'm not going to do that again. So it's like, be open to this process of failure, but also really focus on what do I have to learn from this and how can I, you know, learn and take it forward, you know? You know, and that's the thing. It's like, it's also about, I think a lot of this is, you know, like you said, connecting with the people. Sometimes, you know, it's not even, look, how many talented editors do we all know? And most of us, obviously, the, we do a great job, right? But it's a lot of also that connection. And that, it's okay. If you don't have it with someone, it's fine. Doesn't You just hopefully find them eventually, those people, that team, those creatives that you do connect with. But it can't deter you, say, if something doesn't work out to necessarily... Say, you know what, I'm I'm done. I I'll never find a job again. No, absolutely. And this is, you know, this is how this is a very people, you know, driven industry. And it's very collaborative and it's very, you know, there's a lot of, you know, teamwork and a lot of people all working together to create one thing. And yeah, sometimes you just don't connect with the people and that's okay. You know, it's like, and it's gonna happen. And it's gonna happen throughout your career, you know, you'll try. Because sometimes you'll meet somebody and you'll be like, oh, I like working with them. And you may work with them, you know, again and again throughout the rest of your career. But in between, you know, you're going to have to try working with new people. And and then every time you work with a new person, it's like, am I working? Am I not? But but that's okay. That's just part of the process. And obviously someone, I mean, early on saw, some, saw something in you, whether it be uh, obviously talent or just connected on a more personal level, right? And took you under their wing and, th and became one of your mentors. Yeah, exactly. It was like you know, we, we connected, we had a similar, uh, passion for storytelling and for art and for, um, social issues and wanting to make a change and wanting to make a difference. And, and so it all kind of fell, you know, and we both had a very visual sense. And so it just worked out great. You know, we were a good, you know, connection and I had a lot to learn because I was just, you know, at the beginning of my career and he had so much to teach because he had such an, he had already had such this amazing career. And so we both had a lot to gain from each other and we had a, you know, great time. We worked, I think I worked for him for almost, almost four years. You know, what did you learn about storytelling in the early days, especially working uh, in documentaries, both shooting and editing? I really found that, you know, documentary filmmaking is, has so much writing, you know, and I think that's what I kind of fell in love with at first. Um, you know, I, you know, I kind of told the story earlier of, you know, how writing was sort of my initial, you know, love of storytelling where that came from. And so when I discovered, you know, when I started shooting and editing documentaries, I discovered, wow, this, there, this is really writing. So if you're out in the field, you know, and you're shooting the story, 
you know, in your head, you have to be doing uh, sort of pre-edit or pre-write writing, you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, I want to tell the story of what this person is doing in this moment. And what am I going to need to do that? Like, what could be the beginning of the scene? Okay, I need to shoot this, this, and this. And then it's like, okay, what am I going to need in the middle of the scene? Oh, I'm going to shoot this, this, and this. What am I going to need at the end of the scene? I'm going to shoot this, this, this. And you end up shooting, you know, tons of different things. And then you bring it all back, you know, to the edit bay and you watch it all through and then you start piecing it together from, you know, from all these different things. And and then again, you're writing because it's like, you know, these things can go in any order and the interviews that you shoot, you know, you could be using one line here, one line here, one line here. And you are crafting beats, you're crafting scenes, you're crafting, you know, sequences and arcs and acts. And and um, so that process, it's just that's what I fell in love with was that crafting of arc and crafting of story because it was another form of writing for me. So that was my initial, you know, and it happens both in the field when you're shooting the docs and when you bring it home, you know. And when you're interviewing people, when you're interviewing people, you're asking all these questions to get all of their stories out of them, you know? Well, I think that's also the importance of being like a complete filmmaker, right? Having an understanding of, say, you know, editing, you know, writing, uh, shooting, uh, sound design, audio, all these things help you become just a more complete filmmaker and, and storyteller. I agree. I agree. And um, the other side of it was that was everything that I learned from doing theater too. So, and now this falls more on uh, kind of in a way the scripted side of things because it's more about, you know, what it is to be an actor and what it is to, uh, you know, play a role and and perform. And then I also, so I, so I, I performed as an actor, but then I also started working as a theater director. And so having that experience and it was really interesting because as a theater director you know you're taking an actor you know and they're giving you their performance and then you start tweaking it so you take a line and you say hey let's play around with this performance of this particular line let's change the setup a little bit let's change the payoff and then you start moving them around the room okay when you're doing this line let's have you be crossing here and then on this line sit so in a way you are crafting the visuals you know or the angles in a way and so when i started editing scripted for the first time it was like oh wow you know the performance of the actor felt like i you know choosing performance felt like i was directing the actor and choosing the angles felt like i was also you know moving the actor around the 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 stage and so they these things all kind of feed in together and so but the point is i agree having all of these experiences these different forms of storytelling and different aspects of the, the kind of the industry it all feeds into this really great understanding of how to tell the best story possible you know using geography using performance using rhythm you know using music using sound like because i i also you know i did a lot of sound recording and documentary and you know but being a dp and where are you putting the camera and, and how are you moving it and when are you moving it and yeah all those things feed in so i highly recommend to anybody you know, no matter what position you create a position you are, whether you're a director, whether you're an editor, you know, whether you're a writer, try them all <laughs> and you will learn so much. <laughs> in a, along, you know, the lines of, of, of trying everything, maybe you find something else you connect with, right? You never know. It's, it's like true. It's true. And this happens. Some, sometimes people go to school thinking like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, and actually 
my uh, my husband, Mark Hartzell, is, uh, is also an editor. And I think for him, you know, he went to school thinking he was going to be a writer. Um, but in one of his classes, he had to edit something and he instantly fell in love. And so, you you know, you never know. <laughs> I guess. How is that working with I guess living with uh, you're married to another really talented editor? The truth is that uh, we are better together. Like I would not be where I'm at without him and he would not be where he's at without me. Like. And and I think that's kind of, you know, how the best relationships are, you know, like together we bring out the best in each other, you know, you know, we both have strengths and weaknesses, but we balance them out and it's like, and we just encourage each other and we push each other and yeah, I just, we, neither of us would be where we are without each other. It's that magic combination of the two of us together is it's just a great combination, you know, because he, you know, he was uh, an assistant editor when I met him and, um, and he says, yeah. And, and I'd been editing for, you know, a million years. And I, you know, he was like, I was the one who pushed him. I was, Cause he, you know, it was like, we were, we kind of, you know, fell in love. And then he was like, I'm going to have to up my game if I'm going to keep this guy, you know? And so very soon after he made the leap and to editor uh, on true blood and, and that was like, you know, that was a game changer for him. And he's like, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done it. I would have been too scared. I wouldn't have done it unless you push me. And same with me, you know, he got me involved with Ace and, you know, he was always pushing me, you know, to go on, get on bigger stuff. And, and, you know, and I had never thought about like submitting for awards or anything. And he was like, nope, you got to do it. You got to do this. You got to do this. And I did it. And then I started winning awards and it was like, you know, it was like, oh, you were right, you know? And, you know, all of these connections on a lot of these big projects, you know, a lot of these connections came from him, you know, from people that he knew. And so, yeah, our careers have just fed into each other in this really amazing and powerful way. And we're both, you know, completely thankful for each other because we wouldn't be, you know, where we are without each other. So, you know, you said you had an experience in theater. Does that make you, you think, connect more with the motions and, and saying performances and, and choosing performances and, and when you are cutting uh, something saying scripted? Yeah, I actually, um, I actually feel like, uh, working as an editor, um, can be very similar to working as an actor in some ways. So for me, it's like, you know, uh, before, you know, I'm watching a performance, um, you know, I might go into my own life and, uh, relive, a moment that reminds me of this scene that's that's about what the scene is really about to put myself in the right space and to feel those real honest emotions to feel what i felt in that situation and then when i'm watching the dailies anytime like i light up i know who that's the honest one that's the one that hits me that's the one that makes me feel something and so and it, and it's kind of it's kind of like in a way when you know when an, an actor does the same thing you know if an actor is trying to bring out a certain emotion a lot of times they will go into their own lives you know and relive a moment you know so that they can feel that emotion and they can bring it out and i think so i think an editor can do that too and in um episode uh 205 in the second season uh stand still like the hummingbird um you know this is the rue on the run <laughs> episode so the whole beginning starts um, with this intervention, you know, her family kind of springs this intervention on her at home. 
and um you know she's been uh doing drugs again and she's she has this suitcase full of drugs that she's been selling and so she gets found out and they basically like take the suitcase away without her knowing and so you know and this very dramatic intense you know situation kind of unfolds you know and it leads up to this moment where she's like banging on the door you know trying to get in and so, you know, I mentioned before, you know, my parents um, both struggled with drug addiction. And so I experienced a lot of these same emotions, you know, growing up, um, you know, dealing with a family member who was, uh, you know, who was struggling and um, and all the emotions that you'd feel the being out of control, uh, but the love that you feel for them, um, but being afraid. Um, and I specifically had this moment where uh, this one night, um, you know, we had a restraining order against my mom and, uh, my dad was actually starting to get sober at this point. And he had gone off to, uh, an NA meeting and had left us the, you know, home. And he said, he's like, look, if your mom shows up, you have to call the police. And so, uh, and of course she did show up. And so there's my mom banging on the door and I'm like, God, I have to like call the police on my own mom. And it was so heartbreaking. And so, you know, so then, you know, all these years later, I find myself editing this euphoria scene where Rue is banging on the door and it's just like, and it, and it hurt. And, but that's, but I went back, you know, before editing uh, that scene, I went back and I relived all these emotions so that I could feel because they are very complex emotions, you know, the, because of, of the love for your family member, but also the fear and the pain and the, and the suffering. And, and so, you know, so I'm, when I'm watching, you know, uh, the dailies of Zendaya, you know, playing this character again, I'm like, I'm really monitoring my internal world. And so every time I go across, every time I feel that little bit of pain or I feel that little bit of love or I feel that little bit, you know, whatever that emotion is, I'm like, that's a good take, you know, and it's like I mark it, you know, pull it up, do, you know, I make sure that I, you know, that the whole thing is filled with the most honest, the most powerful emotions, you know, so that the audience can feel, you know, um, some of what, uh, you know, it's both what I went through, but it's also, you know, Sam Levinson, he wrote this, you know, he struggled with addiction too, you know, and he put so much of his life story into this character of Rue. And so it's all of our experiences, you know, life experiences going into this character and we're cooperatively, you know, putting all of this emotion and then bring it out. So in the hopes that the audience will feel that emotion, too. Yeah, I think in general, I think as artists, you know, we tend to be I think, yes, we are sensitive beings. We are very emotional. I do think there are, you know, kind of two parts, you know, to this this craft. You know, I do think there's the very you know, sort of pure emotion side of it. But then there, I think there's also, you know, the, the logical side of it where you can learn about how story works and you learn about the science of emotion, you know, and because emotion really is our medium, you know, in a way. And, but most people don't even know how emotion actually works or why, why it works the way it does, <laughs> you know? I mean, like, right. I know very few people, you know, their entire careers are about crafting emotion and yet they don't even know how it works. <laughs> so I, I, I'm kind of a fan of, you know, both, both sides of it. Um, so on the first side of it, you know, learning how to become, you know, more kind of empathetic and, and become more sensitive. It's really about, you know, so much of it, I think is about knowing yourself, you know, and, 
it's taking the time to really become sensitive to your own emotions. And when, when you're in a situation, how does it make you feel? You know, when something good happens to you, how does it make you feel? And where do you feel it in your body? You know, um, or when something bad happens, do you, you know, do you feel a constriction in your throat? Do you feel a tightness in your stomach? You know, like, I think that's the, the first sort of step is that is to know thyself, you know, it's, to really, in a way, it's to like look at yourself as a character. You know, if you were going to, you know, edit a story about your own life, you know, most of it you'd edit out because it's boring, right? But there are these moments in everybody's life, you know, where you have great loss or great success or both, you know, there are these big moments of change and it's, it's, it's survival change is what it is. And or when you fall in love for the first time, or when you have a first kiss, you know, it's like, there's all these big moments of, a, of emotion and change. And so that I think is the first thing is like, is to look at your own life as a story and, and per, like, pull, pull back and look at yourself as a character. Like, what are the moments in your life, you know, that you could tell, you know, as a story? And what do those emotions feel like, you know? And how how did it feel, you know, to go through all those things? And then I think, you know, when you're going and doing a story with a different character, then it becomes a lot easier to relate. You know, it's like, it's like, um, oh, this, you know, this is their first time falling in love. And it's like, ah, oh, I know what that feels like, you know? So it's this in, out, you know, kind of reflection and, um, and embracing it's like of all those feelings and emotions and so that to me is the the is the is the big part and um yeah i've done tons of therapy and journaling uh you know coming out of a you know challenging childhood it's like you got to process all that stuff and um and i think the best way to process it is to turn it into a story you know it's to really understand deeply what you've been through and why and how and what did you learn from it and what were the emotions that you felt you get that distance from it so that you can actually learn from it and in a lot of cases so that you don't repeat mistakes you know because i think that's one of the things that happens a lot in our lives is you know you kind of repeat that we fall in these we get these emotional habits and you fall in these holes and you just go fall in them again and again and again until you learn the lesson you know and I think that's what a lot of therapy is about is like giving you the awareness of falling in these holes and then um, and then giving you the tools to to stop <laughs> falling in the holes. No, I'm really glad you bring this up uh, because, you know, I it's some it's conversations that I've been having recently with with friends and colleagues and something that I also experienced as well recently, like the past, you know, since the pandemic, I tried therapy for the first time and went through this whole kind of self-help, self-awareness time where I just really discovered a lot about me. And, you know, it helps me now connect more, I think, with the job, honestly, it's learning more about myself. Yeah, that absolutely. Um, there's actually a great little, uh, um, like a little story that my therapist told me that I think applies so perfectly to storytelling. And uh, it's called um, Autobiography in Five Chapters. And so, like, what happens is it's like chapter one, you know, you're walking down the street 
and there's a hole in the street and you fall in the hole and it's horrible. You didn't see the hole and it's painful. It's so difficult to get out. And but eventually you're able to get out and you you walk away. You know, chapter two, you're walking the same street. You see the hole, but you can't help it. You fall in again. It's like uh, and maybe this time you're not in there so long. You know, you're able to, you know, jump out. It's it's a little bit better. It's a little bit better. Right. So chapter three, you're walking down. You're like, okay, I know I'm going to fall in the hole, but I'm prepared this time. I'm prepared this time. I know exactly what this is going to be like. You fall in the hole, you pop right back out, right? You're getting you're getting smarter. You're learning from this, you know? Chapter four, you walk down that street, and for the first time, you walk around the hole. And it's that's great. That's that's great. But chapter five is you don't walk down that street that has the hole. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to avoid that street. <laughs> I know. So that's like, you know, but I just think this is such a great metaphor, you know, for both our own lives, but also for what story is often about. A story is often about that. It is about characters, you know, learning a new way of life, you know, and letting go of a way of life that is actually hurting them. That may have been helped, that may have helped them at one point, you know, because this is what happens is, you know, we get these survival strategies that helped us at one point in our lives but don't apply anymore. And it's this process of, you know, changing that. It's a lot of what storytelling is about, but, but it's a lot of what life is about, you know? Exactly. It's just, yeah. And no, I, again, I appreciate you bringing this up. I think it's, we need to talk more about it and uh, just a deeper way of looking at storytelling. And yeah, I think I believe in just simply having also just more life experiences. I think, um, it, it, you know, we learn a lot from that as well. I wanted to take it back a little bit because, you know, you, you did, you know, work a lot on documentary, but it, eventually you make your major way into feature films and then scripted. I think Euphoria was your first scripted uh, TV gig. Correct. And you win an Emmy. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a pretty good start, right? <laughs> that's a great, man. Yeah. No, I, I mean, talk about that transition now from documentary to more scripted work. Yeah, and there is a lot of pigeonholing in this industry, and and I absolutely felt it. Um, so I had, you know, started in documentary, and I loved it, but I had always wanted to try scripted, and had a very, you know, hard time getting any jobs or even getting any interviews. Um, the thing that changed, I did this um, HBO documentary called American Winter, and I got nominated for my first uh, Emmy and Eddie for that, and then that open doors like suddenly people started you know to see me differently and then i got offered my first um scripted feature uh called uh, i am michael and that uh ended up uh getting into sundance and that led to uh an agent saw the movie at Sundance, looked me up and saw that I wasn't represented, but they had seen American Winter and they were a fan of my work. And they were and so they called me up out of the blue and they were like, hey, you know, I think you have a lot of career potential. I would love to represent you. Um, but they were at a, a small, you know, kind of boutique agency. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, let's keep talking, you know, but I didn't want to say yes, you know, to commit, you know, too early, uh, especially because, you know, she was the first agent that I'd ever really talked to. So, you know, year goes by and um, she keeps sending me all these great, you know, indie scripts. And I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. Then she got headhunted by Gersh and Gersh is one of the, you know, biggest agencies in the world. And she's like, Aaron, you know, I'm at Gersh now, you know, would you like to join me? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so 
because it was like I had this, you know, boutique agent at uh, at a huge agency. Because that's one of the problems with being at a big agency is that you can get lost, you know. And if you don't have somebody who cares about your career, you know, you may not get any interviews or jobs or anything from it. So, you know, for the next, uh, you know, bunch of years, I kind of bounced back and forth between scripted features and um, and documentary features. And uh, I got nominated for a bunch more Emmys and I won my first Emmy and got, you know, nominated for another Eddie. And and um, I had three films at Sundance and one at TIFF and Berlin and Venice, you know, lots of lots of scripted work. And um, but I was trying to get into scripted TV and no one would even give me an interview, not with all the awards, not with three films at Sundance, nothing. And my agents tried and tried and tried. No one would take a chance on me um, because I didn't have any uh, t scripted TV credits. So this went on for years. And um, uh, the funny thing that uh, <laughs> made it change was Kanye. <laughs> so... You know, I get this call, you know, one night and and um, they are, you know, Kanye is doing this uh, project and, um, you know, they they they've they've gone through a bunch of editors that didn't work out and they need somebody like now because there was like two weeks before, you know, the the, the movie had to be in IMAX theaters in 40 countries, you know, in two weeks. So it was like right at the end and they needed somebody to finish this thing and land the plane. And so, um, you know. Basically, like, you know, the next day I was like, OK, sure, let's do this. The next day I'm, you know, put on a private jet with the president of IMAX and they fly me out to Wyoming to work with Kanye directly. Wow. And um, and what I didn't know is they had already booked my flight back that very night just in case. I got it didn't fired. work out. <laughs> yeah. But it went surprisingly well that day. And I had, you know, I came up with all these ideas and told them to Kanye and Kanye was like you know, turned to the president of IMAX after the first day and was like, Aaron's the best editor we've had. He just he loved my ideas. He loved my work. He thought I was an artist. And so, um, you know, I sort of saved the day on that project. And then when I got back, um, my husband was like, hey, maybe you should meet with the um, the TV people at Gersh. And I was like, yeah, and my and my agent, you know, she was more of a feature person. So I thought, well, maybe that's a good idea. So I went in. And, um, you know, I got a, you know, got a meeting and, but it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was, uh, you know, I was like, I got the name of the person who I was meeting with and it was the senior vice president of Gersh. <laughs> and I was like, wow, like, how did I get a meeting with her? You know, um, I thought I was going to meet with the TV people. So I go in and meet with her and she's like, I want to hear all about Kanye. <laughs> she works with big, you know, she works with big celebrity projects all the time. And they're very challenging. They're very difficult. They're like, she's like, how did you do this? How did you land the plane? And so um, she was amazing. And I told her my whole story. And um, and she asked me, she's like, uh, what do you want to do next? And I was like, I want to, I'm trying to get into scripted TV and I can't even get an interview. And she's like, okay, okay, good to know. And so, you know, little time goes by and then um you know one day i get a call and it's you know my agent and the senior vice president and they're like hey aaron give us a call and i was like well, that's weird so i call them up and they're like hey have you ever heard of the show euphoria and i was like yeah <laughs> you know because my husband and i i mean we were obsessed with the first season we were just so blown away by the filmmaking by the editing by the sound and the music and the creativity and the characters and the writing it was just 
so, so and we would just watch scenes over and over like what are they doing how are they doing this you know we were so impressed by it and uh never in a million years did i think i would have a chance to work on it so um you know the uh so they got me an interview on it and uh she the senior vice president had done a little bit of matchmaking so she uh represented uh julio perez uh who is the supervising uh editor on euphoria and so much of you know what makes euphoria euphoria comes from julio like julio has worked with sam levinson for years and they're this like magic combination they just are so on the same page and and um so um so you know but julio wasn't looking for just a scripted tv editor you know that w- that's kind of the opposite of what euphoria is you know euphoria is all about creativity it's all about cinematic it's all about spontaneity it's about surprise it's about the unexpected you know so they were looking you know he uh julio was doing the hiring for this position he was looking for somebody um who had indie film experience. He was looking for somebody who had documentary experience because that's his background, you know? And so he knew that, you know, when you're a documentary editor, like you gotta be a really good storyteller. And they, and he was looking for somebody with a cinematic, you know, that with that indie film cinematic kind of, you know, way of thinking and looking at things. So, um, he had watched uh, my documentary film, Cries from Syria, the HBO film, and he said it was one of the most devastating movies he had ever watched. And he was like, when he watched it, he was like, Aaron can cut you for it. He was like, Aaron can cut this, Aaron can cut anything. And um, so, yeah, and the first meeting I had with him, we, ch- we talked for two and a half hours and it was this instant connection. Um, you know, we had sort of been, you know, it was a matchmaking Um and um, yeah, and then you know I ended up uh, getting hired. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like you know, you know, it could take a while, say maybe, till you find those people that you connect with, right? And that I was twenty three. I think I was twenty three years into my professional career before I, you know, like the and the, and this connection, you know, working with Julio and the rest of the Euphoria team and Sam. It was the best job I ever had. I never felt so like I was in the just the right place. And I'd never felt so respected as an editor. Like, you know, Julio and Sam have set up the most amazing kind of editorial there where editors are considered artists and we are given creative freedom, but we're also held to the most insane standards. You know, like you are, you can take the time you need to cut the scene but when you show it to us, it better knock our socks off. And so, but, but it was that like combination of like creative freedom and like the highest standards of Julio and Sam that I feel like they, it, it made me kind of blossom into, I think I did the best work, some of the best work of my life, you know? Yeah. You know, talk about, I guess that the team, cause I know, I mean, it's, it looks like I know that you guys just have you know, it's all about teamwork. So Julio has set it up the the post to be super, super collaborative. So Julio is kind of like Sam's proxy, you know, creative proxy. They are so on the same page. And so, uh, you know, before we send anything to Sam, we show everything to Julio. So this is like the first step of the collaboration. Um, we show our first cuts to Julio and we work with him and we go back and forth and we play and we create and we try all these different things until we kind of land on like, okay, this is the you know best kind of first version of the scene. 
then that gets sent to Sam. Sam likes to watch stuff way before it's cut into an episode. He likes to kind of get stuff rolling. So, and then this is the next part of the collaboration is that Sam will watch this scene and be like, oh, that's interesting. You're taking the character in this direction or, oh, you're taking the story in this direction or you're doing something. And then he will shift the shooting after that based on what we're doing and editorial. So there's this kind of like back and forth. Then working with the rest of the team, um, we we bounce around on each other's episodes a lot, you know. Uh, on the second season of Euphoria, we did two blocks. So the first four were sh episodes shot together in one block, second four in the second block. And so, you know, on the first block, you know, each of us were sh what we call shepherding an episode. So, you know, each there would be one person shepherding each episode. But, you know, sometimes only one episode would get all the scenes. And so we would help each other out. So I would be cutting on, you know, other people's episodes and people would be cutting on my episode. And we had, so we had this really collaborative process um, where we work together and, and giving each other scenes and helping each other um, and watching each other's episodes. Um, and another thing that, you know, one of the biggest parts that's kind of interesting about our collaboration is actually our lunches. <laughs> the whole team, the whole post team does lunch together. And we do these huge, long, epic lunches, sometimes an hour, an hour and a half long. And we this and we we sort of just play. We have so much fun at these lunches and it gives us a chance to blow off steam. And sometimes we'll talk about, you know, work directly. But most of the time we're talking about what TV shows are we watching? Oh, what movie did we just see? You know, what music are we listening to? Or we talk about philosophy or we talk about life or we tell each other stories about our own lives, you know? And so we create this like really, you know, really intense familial kind of bond. Then that just rolls right into us working. And I've never had such a intense kind of family bond like that. And it's it was such an important part of that collaboration because we we know each other we trust each other you know and it's that's that's why we were all working so well together you know yeah well, i think that's why it's so important to i tell people like you got to put yourself out there and that means by simply communicating uh, your interests outside of work right to get to know you as a person right because that, right. that translates to the workplace and and how you collaborate how you share ideas, you know, I, I think it's very important, especially with lunches. And also some of us are working, say, from home, right? But I mean, I think even then it's important to connect. I think more importantly now, because yeah. we're, we're not in offices, to have still that, that connection, to get to know each other as, as artists. Yeah, and it's so important for creativity because when you feel safe, you know, when you feel like you're in a safe place with people who you trust and people that you like, you will be more creative, 100%, you know, creativity, you know, if you're feeling scared, if you're feeling shut down, your creativity will be shut down too, you know, it's not a good work environment, you know, a work environment based on fear or mistrust, you know, that doesn't create good work, you know, and if you want to be creative, you need to feel safe and comfortable, you need to know yourself you need to know who you're working with and and that feeds into each other you know it's like we created that you know and julio you know and sam create this like safe editorial space where we can play and experiment and you know we're encouraged to we always do these alts you know 
And it's like, oh, your scene works great, but let's try and alt for the ending. And let's try and alt from the beginning. And let's try and alt for the song. Let's let, you know, let's play because we will find new things and ideas. And so it's that, you know, and again, we we're talking about this is a very person-based industry, you know, and it's a very people-based industry. And again, if you feel safe, if you feel comfortable, if you feel protected, you know, you're going to be more creative and the work is going to be better, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Aaron, I, 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 this show has incredible music, obviously a big part of the, the show. What's your process for, I guess, choosing like say temp score or, 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 or source music? How do you go about choosing the right cues for, for, for episodes? A lot of the music comes directly from Sam. He will actually write a lot of the songs into the script. So we, you know, a lot of times we will start with those, but we don't always end up with them. You know, we, uh, we play a lot of King of the Hill with songs. So you put a song in and then everyone will try to beat it. You know, it's like, can you find something that's better? Can you find something that's more layered? Can you find something that's more subtle? Can you find something that's more ironic? Can you find something that's more surprising? You know, and, um, but I would say the majority of the music comes from um, Sam and Julio. Julio has an amazing musical mind too. The two of them are just like incredible. And then the rest comes from, uh, you know, the the editors are the next, you know, kind of round uh, or the next level of music. So whenever we want, you know, we can start with pretty much any song in the world, you know, to start with. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example. It was like uh, in episode uh, two of the second season uh, that, that I cut. Uh, there's this moment where uh, Maddie is babysitting at this rich woman's house and she comes in when the you know rich woman's you know kid falls asleep. She goes into her closet and she tries on all her fancy clothes. And so I was like, OK, I got to find the like perfect cue for this. So, you know, I was listening to Spotify, you know. And um, this Judy Garland, you know, track popped up and I was like, I was like, well, this is kind of weird for euphoria, but what the hell? Because it it worked on a bunch of different layers. You know, the, the song is about like, uh, you know, you're going to love me. And but Maddie is is talking. She's she's dressing up in the mirror. So she's saying, like, I'm going to be fancy, you know, to people like you're going to love me. But it also kind of played like she was talking to herself, like you're going to love me, Maddie. Like, I'm going to make you something special. I'm going to make you, you know, so it played on these different, you know, kind of and it was this kind of, you know, old Hollywood kind of feel. And so, you know. Everybody tries to beat it. So, you know, Julio comes up with all these tracks. And then we have Jen Malone, uh, who's our music supervisor, and she's awesome. So she's sending all these tracks, you know, trying to beat it. Um, and, you know, Sam is sending things, you know, trying to beat it. But that was it. It was like, it just worked. That happened to be the first, you know, track we put in and it worked perfect and they licensed it. <laughs> so, like, that's like an example of, um, you know, like putting in uh, music or songs. Um, and then for like temp score, um, a lot of what we did on the second season was we used the stems from uh, the first season. So Labyrinth, uh, amazing guy, super great to work with, really creative. And, um, you know, we work with his music in kind of an interesting way. He doesn't always, um, you know, write to picture. So he will give us all these kind of demos and little, little pieces and little, he's, you know, super, super creative. And we'll take one of those demos and we'll put it in. And then when people like it, we'll be like, okay, now develop this. And then he'll keep developing it and it'll get more and more interesting. 
then he'll give us all the stems. So each musical instrument is on a different track. And then we can take those stems and take a little piece of this and a little piece of this, a little piece of this. And in some cases, that's what we did, um, you know, for uh, just using the first season score, but repurposing. So like, again, in the second episode that I edited, there's this scene where Cal comes in and he's, he comes into Fezco's convenience store and he's got a gun in his pocket. And there's this real tense moment where he's walking around and it's like, oh, what is going to happen? It's like this kind of like Western, you know, where everybody's eyeing each other. And um, so what I did was I went to the first season stems and I pulled all of the Cal uh, themes and all the Cal songs. And then I took a couple of particular stems, you know, I think it was from three different Cal songs. And I used just one stem from each to create this kind of punctuated tense, you know, and it sounds completely different than, you know, how it played in the first season, but it's using the same feelings. It's using the same instruments, you know, it's this, um, and so it, you know, it's this kind of, it's a kind of theming, you know, of Cal's character. And, um, and then of course we also use temp, you know, just from any, you know, from scores and things, but, um, but that's the, that's ba the basic process. <laughs> I have a question here from the, uh, the Hollywood editing mentor community, Chris Kobe asks, he says, well, he says euphoria episode 205. Whoa. For me, the show has this driving energy. It feels fast. Even when a scene is slow, My question is, what is your approach when it comes to pacing a scene, wondering if you map it out ahead, or maybe is it about a feeling you just have as you cut picture together? Pacing is really, really interesting, and it does change, you know, over the course of, you know, as the, uh, as the scene evolves. And I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, on these episodes, you will get a scene And it's, you know, basically by itself, because a lot of times the scenes will come in out of order. And so you you may not know, you know, you know from the script what's coming into it and you know from the script what's coming out of it. But you don't quite have the, you know, the feeling and the pacing of the episode as a whole. So you do your best on the first cut, you know to try imagine like what is the pacing of this need to be does it does it need to be really is it very slow and tense do you want to be pulling out every little moment because the audience is going to be on the edge of their seat or do you want it to be snappy and boom 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 you know moving around and so you know on that first cut you do the best and it's and it best you can with the information that you have um but a lot of it is just feeling yeah it's like And you may adjust it. And I know, you know, we did this in particular with episode um, five. Um, Sam's direction for five, you know, when he saw the first cut of it, he was like, uh, I want it to feel more rough. I want it to feel more dirty. I want it to feel more gritty. And, you know, in a normal Euphoria episode, you know, there's this amazing, you know, cinematography and it's the camera's moving and things are swooping and there's a lot of sort of, Uh, you know, very detailed, you know, camera movements. But he wanted episode five to feel different. He wanted it to be more from, it's from Rue's point of view. You know, she, we're following her the entire episode and she's breaking down, you know, she's going through withdrawal and everything in her life is collapsing. So Sam was like, it's not about the perfect camera moves. It's not about even the dialogue. He's like, it's all about the emotion. And that's the only thing that matters. So cut for emotion and, and, and um, cut 
go for imperfection, make it feel rough, make it feel raw. That's part of the emotional journey of this episode. And so that's what we did. It was like getting in there and, you know, so the first pass was more, more kind of clean. And then I went through on the second pass and I went and looked through the footage again a second time and I pulled out all these pieces that were much more rough and much more, you know, had more energy and and redid on that second pass. And it totally changed the pacing. Um, a lot of times the music will change the pacing, too. So, you know, we'll be playing around with score. And on uh, on episode five, uh, we landed on uh, Sam wanted to use this one labyrinth track. Um, yeah, I fucking did it, which was actually uh, what I had put at the uh, end of my episode, two. So I had I had this kind of funny connection between my two episodes. So we took that and put that in and then uh, labyrinth expanded it out and played with it. And once we cut that track in, it changed things again. You know, suddenly we we could feel the, the pace of this music had this intense kind of drive. And so, again, we re-edit so that the pacing is just perfect. Then once the whole episode is together, you got to feel it out again. You know, it's like, oh, this scene is going to be really long and quiet, you know. And then it's like... But then this scene needs to be like more like this. This scene needs to be more like this, <laughs> you know, and it's that. And we did rearrange a little bit, you know, with some of the scenes and some of the scenes were longer and we brought them down. And, you know, and again, it was just, you know, and an example of pacing, too, is the in the beginning of the show, the first 15 minutes when before the title hits. So there's the intervention in the house. Then there's the moment in the car. Uh, and then she jumps out of the car and then eventually we get the, the title. That's about 15 minutes. But the first cut of that as scripted was almost 30 minutes. And so that was a huge uh, part of, you know, we kind of watched it at 30 minutes and we were like, it doesn't really work. And so they were like, Aaron, go for it. And here's where my like documentary experience, you know, comes in handy. So I'm like, I know exactly what to do, you know, taking that 30 minutes. And once we got it down to about 15, it just popped. It just came alive. And so a lot of times it's just experimentation. You know, you got to try things try pacing it up, try, you know, slowing it down until it just feels right until the emotion is as high as it can be. Because sometimes slowing it down, the emotion goes up. Sometimes speeding it up, the emotion goes up. And that's what you're always, you know, trying to judge it. Awesome. Aaron. Well, I appreciate you giving us some insight here into, into the work of, of euphoria. And, and, and again, congrats uh, on your Emmy win. And, and obviously looking forward to the next season. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'll be uh, rolling into that uh, sometime later this year. <laughs> <laughs> sometime. Well, awesome. We definitely look forward to that. Uh, just want to have one more question for you, Aaron. I mean, we've talked a lot about a great things today, great conversation with you. You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, you know, uh, taking risks, right, and, and following our path. And, and you talked to us about how you uh, you know, went from documentary to features to scripted. And we talked about, you know, connecting with people. I mean, like, Overall, I mean, like, now looking back at your career and your experiences, what do you have to, to say to those that are those people out there that are looking for a career, you know, as editors who are maybe still don't know if it wants to be scripted or documentary or features and they're just starting out? Some words of wisdom here uh, you would like to share with them in this, uh, this community. 
you know, you you never know like if you're gonna like it or not until you try it. <laughs> because you you know, like I never planned on getting into documentary, you know, at the beginning of my career. That wasn't what I was seeking out. And I just kind of fell into it. But then I fell in love with it, you know, and t- and then you know, I didn't know if I was going to be really good at scripted or not until I tried it and then fell in love with that too, you know? And then the same thing, it's like with features, you know, I loved the feature process, but I was skeptical, like, well, am I going to want to work on a TV show? And then I had an amazing experience on scripted TV. But, you know, the thing is, you got to try it because they're all so different and they're all, they use different parts of our brain and different parts of our creativity. We may be better at one or the other, you know, for for me, it's like, I feel like I have two sides, two creative sides. I have my writer side and then I have my like kind of actor director side. And so, you know, the documentaries really tap into my writer side and the scripted really taps into my actor director side. So I get really fulfilled, you know, kind of bouncing back and forth. And I feel like I've gotten a lot and I feel like my documentaries are more cinematic <laughs> and I feel like my scripted is more, you know, I come up with outside of the box ideas for structure and things that normal, you know, that somebody else might, if they didn't have that documentary experience might come up with. And so they, they feed into each other, but yeah, the advice is you got to try it. <laughs> you know, it's like, you never know, you never know till you try it. And it's like, get out there, cut a short documentary, you know, get out there cut a short scripted piece, you know, and see how it feels and see if you like it. And if, if it really turns you on, then it's like, keep going. <laughs> awesome. Well, appreciate you sharing some advice here with our community, Aaron. And, and again, wishing you much uh, success here and your continued uh, you know, career here in, in, in editing scripted TV shows. But thanks again for being here on the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Thanks for having me. Take care. <laughs> that was episode 37 of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review and head on over to the Hollywood Editing Mentor YouTube channel to watch a video version of this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to help make it the ultimate resource for the post-production community around the world. My name is Joaquin Elizondo, the creator of the Hollywood Editing Mentor Program. Thanks for listening. <laughs>